2: Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gurnan and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. If you would like to support the podcast you can do so through Patreon. I have attached the link on the website so if you just visit the website irelandsbirthstories.ie you can then find the Patreon link there. Thank you to those that have. In this week's episode, I chat to Tia and she talks me through her one pregnancy and the birth of her little girl, Sophia. So Tia was put on bed rest quite early on in her pregnancy. She had a pre-existing cyst, but was later diagnosed with a subchorionic hematoma. So the adv- advice she got was to just rest and let things happen themselves, as there was fear that her pregnancy was under threat. Thankfully all was fine and Tia talks us through her c-section which was a very positive experience and then we talk about life as a first-time mum not only throughout this pandemic but also in a foreign country away from your family. So a really really nice positive story and um, she had a pregnancy that was definitely blighted with fear true, due to the the cyst but a really positive outcome. So I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. Tia, you're very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. If you want to just begin by giving us a little introduction to you and your lovely family.
1: Yeah, Uh, well, my name is Tia Duffy and I'm from Ireland, but I'm currently living in Canada. And uh, my husband is Dermot and my little girl is Sophia. And uh, she's six months old now and we're living over there in Canada. Uh, But I'm currently back in Ireland at the moment and yeah, really excited to talk to you and talk about my, my birth and experience and motherhood, which is uh, a bit of a whirlwind.
2: (laughs) Certainly is.
1: Yeah. So do you want
2: to just talk us through your pregnancy with Sophia? Was your pregnancy planned?
1: It was, yes. Um, Yeah, my pregnancy with Sophia, um, it was planned. It was very much planned. Um, So I have this thing called a dermoid cyst. It's, it's a cyst that's, been in your system forever but it came to my attention maybe two years before I had Sophia it actually ruptured um, and I ended up in hospital it was really really painful so ever since that then I it was on my radar I'd never before ever thought about having children I actually thought I didn't want children but you know the way your mind changes then as you get older and that definitely happened to me so the cyst ruptured and I just became aware then of, of my health. Then I went for a few ultrasounds and um, the cyst then grew back after it ruptured. So it, it was it, it gave me more trouble. And then I asked the doctor about, you know, fertility and stuff like that. And she said, look, this is always going to be here. It will always grow back and it might always rupture. So if you are thinking about having children like now might be the time. So, of course, I just thought right away, oh, my goodness. Uh, no, I still don't want any, uh, I suppose then after time, I just, uh, it just nearly happened to me overnight where I did then I'm like, yeah, I, I, I want to be a mom. And I, I don't really remember how that happened or, you know, what, what made a change. But I, I think once your, your health comes into question and you think, Oh God, it, it, this chance will be taken away from me. Then you make the force you to think about these things. And, um, yeah, so that, so, we figured the best time to do it was the time that I, I I tried to have Sophia and I nearly almost got pregnant straight away, which we were very, we were very lucky with, but I did, we did have to measure the cyst and make sure that, you know, we were taking into consideration all the risks that came with having a grown cyst and a baby at the same time, um, which the doctor at the time told me, well, I think you, you think you'll be fine, but we can never guarantee so there was always a risk for me because um the cyst grew to 10 centimeters at one point and ruptured and and it can cause a miscarriage if it grows with the baby and it causes you trouble. And there's only a little there's a little time frame that you can have it removed when you have the baby in there. But obviously surgery as you're pregnant is a very risky thing. So the whole thing from the get-go to me seemed to be risky. So um then later on, when I did get pregnant, I was only pregnant maybe five weeks and I had a little bleed. And, um, you know, everyone tells you it nearly almost right away. I don't know how it is in Ireland, but in Canada, all I got was, oh, that's completely normal. That's completely normal. But I knew my own body and I knew something didn't feel normal. You know, that way when you just know yourself. So um, everyone was just taking it really laid back. Oh, we can't give you a, a scan yet because you're only five weeks. and. I really had to advocate for myself. It was the first time in my life that I had to felt like I had to really fight for my health. Cuz I knew I was pregnant. I knew there was a baby in there and I just went into fight mode nearly automatically. And then and then I did get the scan. And when I got the scan, they told me I had this thing called a subchorionic hematoma. It was it was about the same size as as the baby was at the time, as you can imagine it was only a little a little tiny thing, but they say if they're, you know, they're common size is small, medium, and large, and mine was large because the baby hadn't grown yet. So um, it was a high risk of miscarriage because the clot was nearly the same size as the sack that the baby was in. Uh, so I just went to to my GP and and just the way she dropped the news, it was, well, this has happened and everything looks okay. And then at the very end, she just said, Oh, and you have this thing and you're at a high risk of a miscarriage. And just like that, it was like my world was ending because you go through the motions and you see the positive line on the stick and then just out of nowhere she said you have a blood clot and uh, it was quite devastating really like I'll never forget it and is that in addition to the cyst yes yes so i was already worried about the cyst and actually in yeah. in the same visit she had told me the cyst was growing with the baby so I did actually leave the doctors that day thinking like, this is done, you know, like it's, you know, I'm going to lose this baby. So it's been quite a whirlwind from there to where I am now. Um, and, and that's, I think that's why I want to talk about it is because anytime I looked online, I just kept hearing miscarriage, miscarriage, miscarriage. I never heard of anyone who came out on the other side of it with a positive story to tell, um, and I don't really know if, you know, being becoming a part of those groups on Facebook helped me or they added to the stress or added to the anxiety. And I think that's I think that's why I, I'm i talking about it, because I, I haven't spoken mm. about it yet. And I'm happy to talk to you about it in case there is anyone out there who the cis thing is huge, because when you look online, no one ever really tells you about The cyst thing, like they're worried if they have a cyst, because a lot of women only find out when they're pregnant that they actually have the cyst and the cyst can grow. But mine did actually grow to 10 centimeters. And by the time I was nine months pregnant, just about to give birth, they said it's really, really big, but it's not causing any threat to the baby whatsoever where it was sitting. So it was actually really nice to hear that because that was something that I was really worried about for the whole time I was pregnant. And just to hear, an opinion at the end when they gave me the ultrasound the final one they were like yeah this isn't this is fine it's not gonna harm the baby at all
2: so did you have additional checks or did they have a special care plan for you because of the cyst
1: yeah well I would have been placed in I was placed in a high kind of um high risk unit in in the hospital itself where they would uh, I had nearly an u- ultrasound a week for the clot and then when that went away, I maybe had an extra three scans just to check on the cysts, just to make sure that it wasn't going to, you know, twist the ovary or do anything else to the pregnancy, which which it didn't, thankfully enough. And so the clot dissolved itself, did it? It did. It dissolved at three, three months. It was gone by three months. I went on bed rest. I had to leave work. Um, I'm a teacher. I was actually directing a play, The Wizard of Oz, and I had every, like I had everything done and I actually missed the play itself. I was devastated because I, I did go to the doctor one day and it was getting a bit bigger, the clot, And I just thought, oh, no. And the doctor said, yeah, let's just completely put you on bed rest um, and let's see if you not moving and, and taking it easy makes things better. So I, I just remember drinking a lot of water. Um, because it apparently flushes your system out and, and and helps your blood so all I did was I just I just lay there and hoped for the best through those I think it was six six weeks I guess that was so that was that was that was
2: mid mid first trimester yeah so then once you got the Clear, they all clear from the clot after three months. Were you able to go back to work then, or yeah,
1: I was able to go back to work and I just took it very easy. Like I wasn't, um I wouldn't have been out on the ice or anything like that because you know Canada's very, it's very snowy and icy. So I mean, my job couldn't have been any more helpful. They, they put me in the classroom and I was sitting down for most of the time and I wasn't doing any. I wasn't dancing with the kids or doing the things that I would usually be doing, which was nice. Um, So I definitely had the support from the job and I just, I, I didn't move much. You know, I work out all the time. I swim, I jog. I was really looking forward to having a pregnancy where I could still do all of those things. Um, but I just, obviously when it comes to the health of your unborn child, I just threw them all, (laughs) threw them all away. And that was what I had to do. I just figured, you know what? I don't care if I gain 10, 10 stone, I am just going to you know make sure the baby is safe so it was definitely a a completely different pregnancy to what i had planned in my mind you know the way you have these ideas where you're like yeah i'll do this oh yeah i'm gonna go to yoga and then actually when i did book a yoga class the pandemic hit. so i'm just like oh wow like here's another thing to go on top of everything else so
2: did you attend any additional classes in preparation i'm sure you would have went to the antenatal classes provided by the hospital but did you do any hypnobirthing or gentle birth no
1: No, no, nothing like that. I didn't, uh, I didn't try a thing, um, because as I said, the pandemic hit and, um, I, I did do the classes, the hospital classes, and I found them very, very informative and helpful. Um, the only thing that I did, didn't really find, find helpful. I had a lot of anxiety around breastfeeding, um, before I had Sophia. Um, and I don't know why that is. I think it's probably listening to things through media I just came up with this idea that it was the hardest thing in the world and I'd never be able to do it. Um, so mm-hmm. I kind of had my mind made up. I'm not breastfeeding before I even had Sophia, which is crazy because I did end up breastfeeding because <laughs> your ideas change, right? Like you have your baby and you're just like, like, who was I ever before? <laughs> like, it's crazy. Um, I did have these ideas. Oh, I'm I'm going to go out all the time when I have my baby and I won't, I won't be stuck to my baby. That That, that actually was me. I think when people see me now, they're like, are you the, even the same person anymore? But, yeah. you know, she was actually born really hungry, with her fingers in her mouth, and they had to put her on my boob right away. And ever since then, she hasn't been off. it. So um, <laughs> it's just very funny how things work. You've got these ideas, and then they just change, obviously. <laughs> you
2: know? I know it's great to have your expectations. I think we all need them, or like preferences, whatever, somewhat, but that's all, that's kind of all they are. At yeah, exactly. the other end of it, it's completely different. It is.
1: Yeah. When you actually like experience it and live through it. And I think that's why it's good to kind of just be flexible and not ever be too hard on yourself, mm. you know, cause you have these ideas and, uh, and especially even around the birth, I just thought like, I don't want to go down that, I don't want to go down a tunnel vision thing where I have this vision, visual, visualization of, of the birth. And if it doesn't go that way, I might be disappointed. Like I didn't want to be disappointed. I just wanted it to be whatever it was going to be. And I think I was Mm -hmm. blessed in that way because it is very special, no matter what way it turns out. You'll always hear women just say like it was the best day of my life. Some people say it was the worst day of their life for for pain reasons. But then when they come along, it's just like what like it just all goes away. So.
2: So how did you feel otherwise throughout your pregnancy?
1: Yeah, I, I, I felt, I think the minute the fear went, um, it didn't leave any room for anything else. Like there was, there was definitely, I did, dealt with a lot of the stress and the pain thinking that I'd lose the the baby. Uh, and even at that, even at that, I don't really think that I allowed myself to stress because I was thinking like, that's going to put my body through it too. So I think just sitting there and kind of like, would you even call it meditating? I'm not sure what I did. I kind of just told myself, positive, gave myself positive reinforcements every day. Imagined holding her in my arms, imagined being a mom. And I think that just got me through uh, the times and looked after my body, really listened to it. Like like I said, had drank a lot of water, had a lot of healthy food, you know, listened to my body. Sometimes I needed a burger at nine o'clock in the morning. And if that's what I needed, I had it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like, yeah, just just things like listening to my body. If I was starving, I I ate like just really listening to it and, and, and looking after it and actually trying not to be constipated. That was a big oh, thing yeah. for me that's because not easy. you know what I mean? Like I did have an incident uh, um, in the school where I, I got really bad and I was just like, oh, no, I'm going to have to, like, tell my coworkers." I was in the middle of a parent teacher meet and then I'm like stuck on the toilet, not able to. Know. Oh, no. But uh, oh, it was absolutely hilarious when I look back now. But yeah. Um, yeah, like just just that, those types of things like cuz you know the doctor did say to me you know when you have the clot and the cyst you, you you don't need to be pushing anything. So just be very careful and make sure you're hydrated. So I drank a lot of prune juice. Okay. Uh that really really helped. Um and then I actually became really addicted to it. Like I loved it cuz it's kind of like a thick texture of a drink. So yeah, just really looking after and then and then afterwards I just think I was on cloud 9 thinking like it's getting closer to the day, Mm. you know, after I found out that the clot was gone. So there wasn't really, and I, I nearly feel guilty saying this. And even to other mothers, I'd never felt depression or I never felt like I ever went into a, a hole. Does that make sense? For me that happened through the process of, of, wanting to become a parent if that makes mm-hmm. sense like my old life transforming into my new life I feel like I did that hard work when I decided to become a mother which would have been nearly a year before I had Sophia does yeah. that make sense yeah. where I kind of cuz some cuz it happens to people at different stages but I do remember kind of waking up one day I listened to this lovely song by Mac Matt, Carney. Matt it's called I can't wait for you to get here it's it's a lovely song it's actually about a, a, your child coming along and I listened to it one day and I was just driving down the road and I just burst into tears. And that was my moment. Like that was when I knew I was ready to be a man. I'm just like, I have chills even thinking about it now. I'm like, this is my moment. So I feel like a lot of the psychological stuff for me happened way before the planned stuff, if that makes sense.
2: Um. Yeah, no, you seemed like you prepared for it mentally, kind of automatically. Yeah, but would yeah. I would I like actively
1: doing it? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah.
2: So then the last few weeks leading up to the labor, how did you feel and what happened there?
1: Oh, gosh, the last few weeks were really, really tough on me um, (laughs) physically, obviously mentally. I'm like, yeah, the baby's going to be here. The baby's going to be here. But I did now that I think about it, it wasn't all rosy, actually, because in the last week I got really, really bad fear. You know, I thought something was going to because they're really big at that point and you can feel them moving around and, you know, when they're sleeping and, you know, when they're hungry and everything like that. But she kept on hiccuping the entire time she had the hiccups. And I remember the doctor saying to me, if I get another call from somebody who's pregnant, worrying about the hiccups, I will go insane. I'm going to contact Google myself and (laughs) tell them to remove this information. Because when you Google your baby hiccup and they all this stuff about the placenta comes up and you know the baby's not getting oxygen and all this type of stuff and I was like oh my god of course it's the worst thing in the world to look up Google but we all do it um, and the doctor said that's the number one call that comes true to them about people worrying in the last couple of weeks is that the lungs are developing in the, in, in the baby and hiccups are actually a good sign. They're not actually a bad sign at all. Now, I'm pretty sure in some cases if hiccuping was going on the entire time, obviously contact your GP or your doctor. Uh, but I would get the hiccups and then get myself into such a state about it. Uh, Or the baby would get the hiccups and I would get myself into a state about it. And uh, I think it was really just at that point I was ready for it to be out. So any little thing that happened, I'm like, oh, she's not moving or, you know, you just want them to move when they haven't in a while. Or, you know, they tell you to count the kicks and count the things. And sometimes you don't. You just go on about your day and you haven't felt it in a while. And you're like, oh, no, I need to check in with this. It was, it was tough in the last week because she tried her, her head was trying to engage. And at one point I couldn't walk because it was nearly like bone on bone. Her head was right on my pelvic bone. And I went, I stood up to go to the toilet one day and my legs went from under me. I couldn't walk. So, uh, that's when I started to know it was like, oh, this was like nearly 40 weeks. I was just ready to go. And I'm like, is, there, is everything okay? And, and so when I actually went to the doctor on my 40th week, uh, checkup to make sure everything was all right. Um, the doctor, that was when the doctor told me that the head was like abnormally bigger than the pelvis area that if, if I was, she said, by all means, um, this is just my medical opinion, but by all means tried to have her naturally. Um, but it will be like long and, and a drawn out process. And, and she might have to be pulled from you. So obviously the other option uh, was a section and, um, you know, I'd never thought about that. I'd never, as I said, I'd never, you never imagine a section. You always just imagine a natural bird. I don't know if, if I'm the only person that thinks that, but you just always imagine. Yep. The baby's coming out of my vagina, that's that's how it's gonna happen. Um, so when the word section was mentioned, I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, all I was thinking was, how do I get her out right safe? So the safest option for me, um, and the doctor, we came to the conclusion was the section. Um, because another thing was three months after Sophia was born, I was to have the cyst out removed. Um, and the doctor said, well, we could do, we could take the baby out and then actually do the operation as we do that and kind of, you know, try to save the ovary and make sure that the ovary is good when we're in there. So it made perfect sense to me. And um, the minute they said anything to do with a risk of pulling her, pulling her out that way, and it might cause the baby stress or strain. I just said, no, a section, it's going to be, it's going to be the, the way that's safe for the baby and safe for me so it wasn't really a hard decision to make for me I kind of just made it there and then with the doctor and they got a second opinion on the on the head I kind of had a tilted pelvis so um they actually they did this thing where one of the two of the doctors came in and they tried to give me a sweep (laughs) um and and the second doctor said no there's this is going to be tricky. Like it, it will be tricky. We could induce you. Um But with the combination of being induced and it not happening naturally and your pelvis being this size on the head, I imagine it's going to be hours and hours. Um, so I'm very happy. I'm very fortunate, I guess, that they told me that and didn't let me go through the the whole experience. And then in the end, probably rush me down to theatre anyway, because it sounds like that does happen a lot. And so I was very blessed to have the experience that I did, which was very controlled. It was a planned C-section. So it was actually the very next morning they wanted the baby out right away because the baby was trying to engage. The head kept coming down. Even as I was there, they they could tell I I was two centimeters dilated, but it never went any further than that. And Did you feel loads of pressure or pain or anything? I did. I felt a a, a lot of pain. (laughs) Um, it wasn't contractions. It's hard to explain. It was just pressure and pain. And as I said, on the bones, sometimes I just, I couldn't walk. It was nearly like losing the losing losing the, my lower function of, of my body. It's very hard to explain. It's, it was just pain and pressure on the pelvis area. And um, even after I had her, I found it very tough to get up off the ground. Just using my legs, I had to hold onto stuff because I do feel like in the last week, there was a lot of damage done to the pelvis area. I do have a lot of sciatic pain now as well um, since that last week. You know, when you just know you can feel damage to the body and you're like, I'm like, oh man, this last week, because everything up until that felt like it was perfect. But I do remember the baby being so big and feeling like, whoa, like my, I don't know how much more my body can withstand this mm. type of thing, you know?
2: So you know your, you know your own body as well cuz I I remember feeling similar with Eva like she was I remember going out for a walk and it was like the height of lockdown and I was talking to my friend across the road and I was like she's I feel like she's hanging out of my vagina
1: and she was like what I was like <laughs> yeah like, that is the feeling yeah,
2: that low it yeah. really
1: is it's it is it's just like it's insane you're sitting there and I remember like the ball was the only relief I could get so there's actually a picture of me and I'm asleep on that ball I'm oh, hanging over it like <laughs> And when I look back at it, I'm like, I could have fell left or right (laughs) at any point, but I'm just like, if this is the only way that I can get some sleep, because as I said, the bump was huge and I did lie from side to side, but I remember that last week, not being able to sleep at all. And that's when it really starts to get bad, right? Like uh, even, even I had like really bad hemorrhoids. They were absolutely atrocious. And I just remember the doctor being like, yep, they happen. That was it. Like it wasn't like it wasn't like, well, can I get any cream for them or anything like that? She's like, well, you can, but they're still going to be there like they're not going anywhere. There's just way too much pressure down there at the moment. So I think I think it is good that, you know, at the end of the pregnancy, it's nearly like natural that you feel overwhelmed in a way because it just makes the birth all that much better. The relief, right? Like when you just have the baby, when your body is it's just like an, a balloon being like burst mm. in a way that it's like all oh, this pressure is gone and I can finally just go back to being me again and, but I also have this beautiful baby so like I do it again in a heartbeat like there's no way I would, wouldn't do it again um but it is it's a, it's a very sp- special experience and I do remember people saying oh wait till you get to week like 38 39 40 and they were right because you know you do you feel the pressure and you, you're just ready like you're ready for it. it's nearly building you up in a way for you know the strength that you need to carry yourself through those first couple of weeks kind of comes to you in the last weeks of your pregnancy funnily enough it's nearly like it's nearly psychologically training you for how tough you need to be you know yeah, what I mean that's a good point yeah.
2: So like, uh, yeah, you got your date then. How did you feel? So, uh, sorry, it was the next day. So you went home then yeah. and packed everything up and came in the next morning, did you?
1: Yeah. Would you believe I got a flat tire after I got the news? So my husband has to rush off and get, get, the, get the wheel fixed on the car. And then I was just left. I actually went and I got a Burger King. I said, I'm just going to enjoy this now when it, when it, when it lasts. Um, I went and I got my burger because I just needed iron all the time. I needed red meat the whole time, um, which is another thing. I think you should check your iron levels because mine were really low. Uh, so any, if I was to give any advice to anybody, it would be that because I nearly had to get like an iron transfusion. I didn't realize it was so low and I was addicted to ice cubes, which is a big sign that you, your iron might be low. Uh, which I found out at a much later stage. Um, yeah, so that it, I, I rang my parents right away because obviously I had the date for them, which was only one date after my due date, which was amazing because I didn't want to, you know, I, I was af- nearly afraid to ring people and tell them, oh, I felt a, like a Braxton Hick or, <laughs> or a real contraction. I never knew the difference. so I'm like, I'm not telling anybody anything until I know for a fact. Uh, so it's just very special ringing them and telling them knowing like this is it. <laughs> This is it. Like tomorrow, I'm gonna to be a mom. Like just knowing and and being able to do it in such a calm way. Um, it was just fascinating just to see their faces down the phone because obviously I'm in Canada and um, I was funny the way the doctor said it. Their professions are hilarious. She just goes to me. Well, I want the baby out like almost right away. Are you free this evening? She said to me, and I said sorry. <laughs> and she goes, Oh no, wait, I can't do it this evening. You haven't fasted. So it was nearly like she was ready to take the baby out there and then Only she realized I'd eaten that day. So um, so I know. Did you have any food today? I was like, yeah, I had a bit of lunch. He's like, oh, damn, I can't take your baby out later. So she goes, how about six o'clock in the morning? So it was just it's just magic. Like you're you're finding out in that way. Uh, Because as I said, I visualized myself going into labor. I visualized the whole thing. I never visualized it like that you know, you just don't, you just don't think it's ever going to go that way. Um, so it was very special. I didn't have much time, thankfully enough to look into sections. You know what I mean? Like, um, I do remember uh, over the years, this is just listening to my aunts and stuff like, oh, a section is much worse than a natural birth and it takes a long time to heal and everything like that. Um, but I have to say, I, I, i have had the most pleasant experience with a c-section when it's planned um obviously i think the the worst part was the drip in my hand believe it or not because they couldn't get they couldn't get um, a vein (laughs) so they were poking at my hand for a while and i think that was nearly the most traumatizing part of uh, everything that i experienced which says a lot um yeah I I've I've nothing really bad to say I got I got something that's similar to an epidural I'm not sure if it was the epidural just makes you numb from the waist down and after that then I just obviously you don't feel you don't feel a thing and just lying there and I think the baby was out within minutes which was shocking because you're just lying there you don't really know what's happening because there's a curtain up um, and, and next of all, I just heard, here's the baby. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> She's here already. Uh, so it happened really fast. And then I had to lie there for two hours afterwards uh, because I got the cyst removed in the same time. And, and, and just the surgeon kept saying to me, you're doing very well, you're doing very well. But I think having the, having the adrenaline and listening to the baby in the background and kind of seeing her in little, she was coming back and forth. in in different people's arms to me and she had been on my chest and done the skin to skin um that it kind of just carried me through those hours I didn't even realize I was lying on an operation (laughs) like I didn't that's brilliant they kept her there they did they kept her in the room the entire time with me which was really really nice you know I've heard other people experiencing the baby being taken away and stuff but they, not only did they keep her in the room, she, they had a screen and I could see her on the screen. Ah. It's quite special. <laughs> it was very special, actually. So I'm just staring at that. It was like watching my life in a movie, really, because I'm just looking up at the screen um, and all of this is going on. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's fabulous. The only thing I, I really that really stuck out for me was um, apparently when you're getting a section I read I read an experience of another woman saying when you kind of feel it like a tug, you know, you can kind of feel them, you know, jiggling around in there. But it's not painful. You just know something's happening. But I did. I just felt a bit of pressure and then the baby came. So I think that's them just taking the baby out kind of thing. Um, But again, like I wasn't creeped out by it or anything like that. It didn't feel uncomfortable. I just felt like I'm going to meet or this is it. This is the moment. Kind of overtook anything else that happened, if that makes sense, you know. She was eight, 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 nine. Yeah, yeah. I know she was really chubby. And just the minute I seen her, I'm like, right, I recognize you, you know, like I just recognized her. It was it was it was bizarre now and just very very special so you went yeah. down
2: to the ward That so you were, that surgery then took a while if you were there for two hours and then how did you feel after yeah. that you obviously went down to the ward or how did you feel
1: yeah um I felt I didn't obviously I didn't feel any pain for a while because I was still still numb um I would I do remember the first time having to I had a the catheter was in as well um because the operation was a bit longer, I, they gave me more numb and stuff. So I think it took about 12 hours for that to wear off. So I was lying in the bed and I was, as you do you're you're breastfeeding every two hours, they woke me up every two hours. And when the pain kicked in, it was, it was painful, but again, not as painful as I, as I thought it was going to be right. Like you always imagine yourself like they, when they tried to make you walk and stuff like that, um, I stood up and it was definitely like a pain, but, um, not something that I couldn't work through. Does that make sense? Like not enough to keep me in the bed kind of thing. Cause they were, they were excellent. They kept saying to me, they kept saying to me, like, if it's too much for you now, don't get up. We want you up and moving around. Cause it'll heal you faster and all this stuff. If it's too much don't. But I just kept pushing myself. Cause I just kept thinking like, I'll push myself and I'll be home with the baby. I just had that vision in my head like that. I don't want to be here for too long. Because um, you also have someone looking over you as well. And I was a little bit insecure about, about around the latching and the breastfeeding. And I know the nurses try their best to help you, but I felt like they were watching me too at the same time. I'm like, I need my own space. I need to go home with the baby. So in that way, I kind of pushed myself a little bit to be up and, uh, and moving around. It was tough to go to the toilet you know, when they removed the catheter just to go to the bathroom, I just felt like, oh, no, I can't hover. I had to hold on to the two things beside me and kind of gently go down. Um, And that kind of gentle movement for I'd, I'd say for the first three days was hard, you know, like when you have to get up and go to the toilet. But like, I think a, after that, then I think like the clouds just started to lift. I was able to move more. I was just like I was more mobile. I could, I wasn't crawling up the stairs type of thing. I was moving around and yeah, the pain just seemed like it was not that big of a deal at all. Do you know? Cause I, I guess you have, when you get a regular operation, which I did, I've had my appendix out. And for me, that was nearly the end of the world. <laughs> I was only in my teens. And I remember feeling like this is the worst pain ever. But I think when you have your little baby there and you're looking after them and you know, you're going home to your house and You've prepared for all this. The strength that you get from it is just incredible. And I, I'm sure I, I speak on behalf of all the women who've had their natural births as well, which for me, I can't even imagine now. Isn't that funny? Like some people say to me, I can't imagine ever having a section. And I go, are you crazy? I can never imagine healing from a natural birth. I just can't. Uh, and it's really funny because we all have to heal in our own ways. and They're all just as, as uh, we all have the strength. doesn't matter what way you have, your baby you've had it like and it's such an achievement to have it and and you know get through it no matter what way you get through it you've actually like created a baby brought it into the world um and and looked after it like to this day like it's just it's fabulous experience like it really is what an achievement you know like it's probably one of my biggest achievements and before, if I heard someone saying that before I was a mother, I'd be like, oh, get off yourself. Anyone can do it, Um, I think. But when you go through it, you're just like, this is just a miracle. It's fabulous. Like, you know,
2: I, I'm just obsessed with it all. I'd give birth yearly if I could.
1: <laughs> so yeah, it like, it's fabulous. No. It really is. Yeah. Book, and you're talking to someone, you really are talking to someone who would have said things like, God, they need to stop posting photos of their baby. They're obsessed. Like, that's the only thing they have going on yeah. in their lives, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, that's literally what I was. And I just remember, like, even, even like the community of people I met since I became pregnant, women reaching out to me. I don't even know who they are. And I'm like, I just get you on every level. I don't know who you are, but we're going through this same experience. And it's just, it just connects you with people on another level. Like, you've never known before. Like, it really, as a special experience it really is like
2: and how did you get on breastfeeding then you said you were conscious about latching on did you have oh yeah access to a lactation <laughs> consultant in the hospital
1: i <clears> did <throat> yeah and um I, I i actually only needed to ring them this uh, talk about like being scared like on the first night the baby latched in the hospital no problem she was breastfeeding perfectly for me but as you know there's there's a point where your boobs just get really big and they fill like right up and they get much mm-hmm. bigger That happened to me the first night I took her home and I didn't know this, but she she wouldn't latch for me. All of a sudden, she just wouldn't latch. She was screaming and she seemed even angry at one point, like a newborn tiny baby in your arms. And I couldn't even get her to drink the bottle either. And I got really scared. I didn't know what to do. My husband had been up with me because obviously with the section he had done most of the work because I can't move from the from the from the boobs down. Uh so he was sleeping. So I just that was the first time I felt like on my own. I'm like, how do I do this? Apparently, the lactation consultants, when she's when I spoke to her, she said but basically the baby didn't recognize your boob. It was too big. When she latched in the hospital, it was a lot smaller. Right. And so now this big massive thing in her mouth, she's like, How do I even drink from this? I can't. So I actually ended up getting her to drink from the bottle in the end by putting um very animalistic. I just put the milk on my finger put my finger into her mouth and then she realized, oh, the milk comes from the bottle. And she ended up taking the bottle for me. Um Relief. which was good. Eventually I got the I got it into her. Um but because she wouldn't take it from the boob. And that went on for maybe the first two weeks. She wouldn't latch. And then one day I remember just lying on the mat with her. And I said, maybe I'll just try it now. Like because I was pumping I was feeding her with, with the bottle. Um, I said, maybe I'll just try my boob again. And she just just like that mm. latched back onto the boob and it, it just happened. So I don't know how mm. I just I just tried it again and I kept trying it, um, just didn't kind of give up at it. And it ended up working out for me.
2: Brilliant. And you're still feeding successfully now.
1: <laughs> I am. Yeah. So right now, right now, I'm actually I'm actually weaning her off now. So she's gone on onto, onto her solids and she's having a bit of water and it, it, it's so far it's it's working well for me um Are you enjoy the
2: solids it's fun isn't
1: it yeah I love uh, she is love it. she loves she's obsessed with carrots so I just get everything with carrots in it um and the other day I actually got carrots but I mixed sweet potato in with it and she just didn't like it at all so the sweet stuff she doesn't really seem to be okay. that keen on it's more savory stuff so I want to try her on like hummus and stuff like that. You know, it's still all very much mashed, mashed, yeah. mashed down. Um, But um, it's great trying them on different stuff. And I love, I love watching her enjoying her. Oh, field. I love it's it. so cute. Yeah, I love the weekend <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
2: So life, life as a, as a new mum during COVID, how have you found that?
1: Yeah, you know, like, I think it was survival mode all through the pregnancy, but then as time goes on and the baby was born, I'm kind of like, I kind of grieve in things like not being able to do stuff, whatever I had, I did have a lot planned with her. Like I wanted to take her downtown Toronto. I wanted to take her in up to CN tower. Cause you're thinking like back then I'm thinking like I can do anything with my baby. I'll just strap her onto me and off we go. Um, so there is a lot of things that I had planned for us, um, that I can't do, uh, which is sad, you know, it makes me sad. And, uh, you know, coming back to Ireland, I'm glad that we at least got to do this trip and she met her grandparents. They were over with me in Canada anyway. But the very first time that she met her grandparents, it was like from a distance, right? Like they had to isolate for two weeks. So it was, oh, hi, I'm here. And then I don't see you for two weeks and then you can meet the baby. So I'm not going to, I won't lie and say it's all been breezy. It's definitely challenging. Um, but I do think it gives me the opportunity to kind of just soak it all in, if that makes sense, because you don't have a lot of places to mm. go. And as I said, I'm always out all the time in the outdoors. So a mixture between, um, you know, having a good support there. I have also another teacher friend who's just had a baby, two teacher friends, actually. And I think really without that support, I might be a bit lost. Because I know that those two girls are there and I know when I pick up the phone, even if it's minus 15 degrees outside, if I say, look, I need to get out or go for a walk today, that they're there. So I think if that was removed from from the, from the scenario or if I didn't have one or two people there, that it might be a lot tougher to not have, have the support, you know, because it is hard being in a different country and having a baby and not having your parents around. That is tough, you know and covid doesn't <laughs> doesn't make that any easier so yeah no. it's tough sometimes
2: it's nice that you have those those key people because even just i think it's just vital to have those mum friends which i don't like to i've only discovered in the past few months that i don't actually like that term because they're just yeah just all the friends. exactly not yeah just, they know, are they're
1: friends <laughs> and i think as i said before it's just a different bond isn't it like it's just mm. because oh, yeah, you yeah. can talk like a lot of my my girlfriends from childhood have had babies but they're in different stages they're like two three four some are six some are seven but to actually go through your pregnancy with somebody and be pregnant at the same time and have the same worries and the same fears but then also to do it through a pandemic together it's quite special so um you know some days when I just want to rant I just get on to I know they're there on whatsapp And I'm like, I'm just going to go on here and rant. But I also know that I I also don't want to bring them down either. So we're just respectful of each other's boundaries. But we know we're always there, you know, and it just it makes such a difference. Really does. And just with your cyst, I just wanted to know, do you have
2: to get that checked constantly to see if it's grow back?
1: Yeah. So so basically it's called a dermoid cyst. So there's all different types of cysts, but the dermoid cyst will nearly 100 percent grow back. The whole time it's there since I'm a baby basically so it's like it's like a it's like a bundle of cells together that just regrows in the same spot and mine is on my left ovary so when it burst the first time there was a lot of, of uh, fluid in it then when it grew back it was actually solid so when they removed it, it was a solid cyst um so who knows what way it's going to present itself the next time it comes around if it does I mean sometimes they don't grow back uh, but the majority of the time, they do. So, you know, um, mine grew quite rapidly. Um, sometimes, with the pregnancy and the hormones in the first four months, it rapidly grows the cyst, and then whatever happens with your pregnancy hormones in the last four, it slows it down. That's usually what happens. Um, <clears throat> so, I did know that when I got pregnant, that it might grow like into this monstrous thing. Um, when I get it back, it could take five or six years to get to 10 centimeters it just all depends so I actually have a checkup in February to see where I am with that yeah so I'll always I'll it's just it's just always something that I I'll I'll be always aware of it now you know because that happened I'll always be getting ultrasounds or at least maybe once every four or five months
2: okay at least I suppose that the hospital are on it or that you know they're monitoring it in your GP and everyone around you knows that it exists so
1: yeah I should also say as well actually the reason that I came to know about the cyst obviously it burst as well but I was having like extra heavy periods that's how I came to know about the cyst it wasn't just one day it burst. like I I knew it was there like before that I had known it was there but it was like two centimeters right like it wasn't It wasn't anything abnormal at the time. So I remember them just saying to me, no, this is fine. Um, Then maybe a year later, I got shooting pains, and I ended up in A&E and and it burst. But, um, you know, I just woke up one day and I just knew that that period was absolutely outrageous. Like, I'm like, this is not, this isn't normal. Um, So Yeah. Like I I would just recommend if anyone had anything abnormal about their period, just to even check it out, just say to your doctor, look, I want this. And that's another thing. I think we need to ask for these things as well. I found like, even when I had the class, they probably wouldn't have given me regular ultrasounds. Only I demanded them, you know, and, and it, it is very tough. I know Ireland is a different country to Canada, but you know, if, you know, just speak up and say, no, I want this or what is available to me. And can I get it? because you kind of do have to become your own advocate when you're, when you're pregnant, because you kind of, you can just fall into a system too. Um, and I just, I found that part very challenging too, even with the cyst, like, there was times where I just said, no, I'm going to just go and ask for an ultrasound on this. I'm having a shooting pain in this place and I need to check on it. And it did end up uh, standing to me in the side. It's like people saying, check your breasts you know, if there is anything abnormal about your period or, you know, cramps down there or anything like that, definitely just always mention it to your GP.
2: Thank you. That was lovely and really insightful. And I know it'd be useful to so many women. So thank you for sharing.
1: Um, Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, it just felt like such an organic conversation. (laughs) No, I was really worried about it. And I haven't really shared, like I haven't shared in great detail Uh, my story because I was really protective of it. Do you ever feel like that? You're like, oh no, I just, I don't, that's my little, that's my story or whatever. Uh, But I do feel like when I was pregnant, I needed to hear stories and especially about like the cyst and the subchoreonic hematoma. Like there was nobody out there that had that. I'm like, I'm like literally looking up hashtags of it at one point and looking for like positive stories or, you know, just any type of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so, yeah, I'm just happy to share. I hope it does help somebody <laughs> somewhere.
0: <laughs> Hold up. What was that?